0: Welcome to the Earthborn Games podcast. I'm your host, Anders Carlson, and joining me are the people behind your future favorite card game of all time, uh, Earthborn Rangers, (laughs) the staff of Earthborn Games. Uh, First, let's say hi to Mr. Fisher. How are you doing?
1: Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I am fully recovered from... My uh, first inca- encounter with COVID. So that's uh oh. if, if if last episode you heard my uh, voice sound a little haggard, it was because I I finally fell to COVID. Um, but I'm feeling right now. You know it was
0: COVID at that time.
1: <laughs> huh? I didn't at the time, but um, oh. as soon as I was sick, I stayed home because like you know uh, we conveniently have a job that we can do remotely. Um, Andrew and I was oh, were yeah. doing card counsel, uh via Skype, so I just both uh, my partner Sam and I. Stayed home while we were sick. And then we discovered it was COVID later that week. Wow. Yeah. You were
0: able to work, though, the whole time.
1: Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't hit me too bad. Um, I don't know if it's the vaccines or what, but, like, I felt pretty good. Um, and so uh, we kept working. Andrew just had to put up with my scratchy voice for a while uh, on some <laughs> of our calls.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad you survived. Is that... Are you the only one that has uh, suffered COVID on this, this panel here? Anyone no, I else? had it twice. Right. I remember that
1: now, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think Evan, you've dodged it though, right uh, yeah, I
2: unless I got it early on, way early on in like 2020,
1: 20. without <laughs> yeah. realizing it,
2: but i I really haven't been sick, so if I did catch it, it was I was asymptomatic or something. many so. of us like think we got it before it even
0: hit shores, yeah, because <laughs> I did have a terrible illness right before it hit, that I had never experienced anything like before.
1: Were you patient zero in the US, Andres? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not allowed to talk about it, but
0: maybe. yes. Um, we're also joined with and by Evan Simonet. Hi, Hi. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Great. Baseball caps. We both got <laughs> hats. <laughs> That's in our show notes. Uh, Evan and Anders banter about the hats that
1: they're wearing. Are, are, St. Saint Paul Saints, huh? I Yeah, I was going to say, like, okay, oh, it's the Saints hat. I was going to ask if your teams would would ever uh, be in conflict, but I don't think so because that's a Dodgers, right, Anders? That's a Dodgers, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: For no particular reason. That'd be something to see, though. Oh,
1: man. Wow. If only. <laughs> Dodgers versus the St. Saint Paul Saints? <laughs> that, that might be a slaughter, I think. Are the Dodgers
0: really good right now? I feel like I've heard they are
1: well i mean aren't they in like entirely different like oh yeah in the major leagues yeah yeah exactly
0: (laughs) the saint paul saints are you know they're owned by bill murray uh there's like i remember seeing william hung perform there remember that guy from american idol oh yeah Yeah. it's that kind of thing he was like a bad singer and
1: uh i I forgot i forgot that bill murray owns the saint paul saints
0: i don't know if he Mm -hmm. does 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 anymore does he still okay he may i don't know their new stadium looks amazing. I'd assume so, but I'm not sure. That's kind of one of the only reasons I ever went to a game is to try to spot him because he would show up sometimes. Mm-hmm. And finally, Mr. Andrew Navarro. what What's what's new in your world? What do you want to talk about here in this oh, geez, cool, man! There's cool so, moment of the show? So much going on.
3: <laughs> Are you a Dodgers fan or you just have a hat?
0: I'm a baseball fan. and Just in general? I went to L.A. one time. And I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked it. And then there's uh there's Karamo from Queer Eye. He wears L.A. hats all the time. Oh yeah. Okay. okay. All those three things factored in, and I just wanted a hat. So I,
3: I know mind. that feeling. Most of my hats are just I need a hat right now.
0: Yeah. So that right. I buy a hat, whatever
3: <laughs> one's around.
0: Exactly. I was like, L.A. was cool. I liked L.A. Yeah. People hate on it, but I had a good time there. um Yeah. So, today we've got an awesome show. We're going to continue our uh, top five games. I uh, I think I'm going to have to kind of wing this one. I have my list, but I don't know which one's going to c- fall into the fourth place. And uh, that'll be fun to talk about again. Um, we've got some awesome work stories, as always. And we've got some more listener questions. You guys have been on top of things sending us the hard-hitting questions to get us talking. And we're going to jump right into it with a question from Tobin L from Discord. Tobin says, hey, I'm a backer and listener. A question for your next Q&A. What is your greatest fear with respect to designing the game? For example, what is the one thing you're trying to avoid?
1: Yeah, I, I can take this one. We're, we're starting off real positive with you know our greatest fear here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, so I mean, like my my kind of first reaction to a question like this is, um, so like a lot of game players like to kind of look at things that a lot of games do wrong, or that like you know games they have particularly strong opinions about have done wrong, but. Ultimately, there are an infinite number of things that you can do wrong, right? Like scratching off, like checking off, oh, don't do this thing wrong, don't do this thing wrong, you're going to go for forever, but there's only a limited number of things you can do right. So while we do obviously keep out our, our eye out for problems and issues... I, at least my kind of philosophy when designing games is to not let a like single fear or s- the fear of something that could go wrong guide me, because I'm just trying to avoid one of infinite things that could go wrong. Instead, I try to be guided by what I want to go right and by the experience I actually want to evoke. Um, so that's that's my kind of like roundabout answer to this. Um, more specifically, though, uh, to, to like actually answer your question, Tobin, um, uh, I kind of want to talk about a dichotomy that exists, um, which is, and I, I feel it very strongly as we've been working on uh, Rangers, is I, I think there's often this dichotomy between the approachability of the game, um, how easy it is to kind of learn and get into, you know, what's the learning curve how accessible is it um, versus the depth of the game? How much is there to explore? How much, you know, like, is there to get out of it? Um, Obviously, like, ultimately, this is a term that's thrown around a lot in, in game critique and design is elegance, which is, you know, kind of the ratio of, like, the complexity of your game to the depth of your game. And so ideally, you know, most games are striving for low complexity and high depth. And so obviously, we're looking to get that. Um, uh, But at the same time, there is kind of this push and pull between adding more to the game, adding more story, adding more branching options, adding more different interesting interactions, but while also wanting to keep things simple and approachable and easy to understand and process. And so while we obviously strive for elegance, there's this push and pull between accessibility and depth. And so if I was going to say my greatest fear would be to not correctly strike that balance, um, to end too far to one side or the other, right? Too complex where it's not approachable to people or too light um, where it's, you know, it doesn't have the staying power and the storytelling experience for people. And so like, wanting to kind of strike that balance and not tip too far or in one way or one direction or the other. Um, so that'd be my answer uh, to that question.
3: Yeah. I, when I saw that, when I read that question, um, I had a different feeling on it. I think when it came down to me and I, um, just uh, frankly, I don't think I have any f- fear the game at all. No fear. I don't. I, 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 uh, yeah, I, I, because I, I think, I don't know, it just seems like the wrong way to approach things is to like think about like the thing you're afraid of and then try to avoid it. Like, get that. Yeah. That's a surefire way of making sure you walk right into the thing you're afraid of. um yeah. Because you're devoting time and effort and thought to that, to that fear. Um, And I'm a firm believer that all fear except, you know, fear for your life, if you're being like chased by a lion or a (laughs) lunatic with a knife, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) is a a fiction. Um, You you can conjure any amount of fear in your mind over over pretty much anything. And Mm. um, I think thinking about the game in that way, uh, I don't even think it would have gotten off the ground. So I think maybe the me of two years ago may have had some concerns or fears or just uncertain, like really just uncertainty. I think that's what fear ultimately is, at least for me. Um, just because there was so much road ahead, but now that we're, you know, coming to the, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're pulling up to the station. I don't really have any fear at this point at all. Like I, I feel supremely confident in what we've done um, and to your, what you were talking about Fisher of like striking that balance between accessibility and, and depth, like, I, I feel like th- it's always going to be inaccessible to some people. Like, even the simplest games are, you, you might look at uh, like Talk, for example, that's pretty simple. That, uh, that game based on the name of the wind, or even uh, uh, chess is a you know, relatively simple game. Mm-hmm. But you can, it, the, if the wrong person approaches that game with the wrong state of mind, uh, they're not going to be able to understand really what's going on or um, like really enjoy it or engage with it in a meaningful way. So I feel like there's always going to be some people out there who are going to bounce off of our game. I think that's fine. Um, there's going to be people who are going to absolutely fall in love with our game. And that's, to me, the most important thing, uh, is that that audience is out there. And uh, I, know, I know the game will find them, and I know they're going to love it uh so i've i have i have no fears at, at this stage for sure um, mm-hmm. uh maybe that's a a cop out on that question but uh it's the truth i believe you
0: i
1: think that's have, gonna have, make for the best game
0: yeah
1: have Have you seen that there's a, a cartoon that, that kind of gets memed around on the internet where there's a guy strutting with like a shirt that says no fear and then somebody brings something up to him and then like something scary up to him and then he changes it to one fear right <laughs> that that's what, as soon as you said i have no fear i pictured that like you know and then i go well what if all of our, our massive success all the copies we order they fall and crush you andrew and then you're like one fear that's <laughs> well, too late
3: then. i don't I have nothing to be afraid of because i'm dead
1: yeah right right
0: (laughs) you might feel fear for a split second but it'll be over soon
3: i feel like good i'm hoping that in that that moment whenever it comes i feel acceptance
0: yeah right right (laughs) well great question when when that palette falls on me (laughs) (laughs)
3: as foretold by that by that roma woman i met on the road
0: (laughs) Cool. Let's let's move on to our next question from from Quax Sorry, sorry. Q A X. Um, it's from YouTube, and it's uh, the the person asks, "Can you give a more direct example of you not following the style guide?" Always interested to see how the bread is buttered.
1: Yeah. So I think this one is a follow up from something we were talking about last episode, which Andrew and I have been doing a um a step we called card council which uh, basically we are reviewing every single card in the game and uh applying kind of a singular rules wording template to all of it um and so you know we kind of have a system for how we word different rules wordings and uh for most cards we can apply that system but some of them We kind of have to diverge from it for different specific reasons. So I think that's what Cax here quacks. What what do we determine? How do we?
3: Maybe that's a play on quacks. Maybe it's quacks.
1: Yeah, it's a Q with no U. So I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, so I think that's what uh, Cax quacks is asking about here, which is just, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, which is like, what does it look like when we decide to break templating? Because ideally, you know, uh, all of our rules, uh, wordings would be templated exactly the same. Um, So. Uh, I, w- I was talking about this with Andrew. I was like, well, what example am I going to give for this question? And um, a- Andrew brought up, you know, one of the things it, you know, as soon as we break templating once, that break kind of becomes a new system, right? So it, it suddenly becomes <laughs> the template, right? Because some other cards may do a similar effect to that one card that broke it. And then we go back to that card and that's the templating for that specific situation. So very quickly, our breaks, when we break templating, it quickly becomes uh, our new templating. That being said, I I felt like I had a couple interesting examples for you. I don't want to get too into the weeds, so I'm not going to get into all the technicalities of how our wordings work. But uh, I I think a couple are kind of interesting. So um, for those of you who haven't seen the game in action, some of our cards in the game, have special tokens on them. Um, so we just have these kind of all-purpose tokens that can go on all sorts of cards to track any different number of things. Um, and when cards use these tokens, we give them, those tokens on that card, a specific thematic name. So on one card, it might be charges representing how much energy a piece of the de- technological device has on it. On another card, it might represent um, the neglect of a station that has fallen uh, in disrepair. There might be neglect tokens, or we just come up with fun, different thematic names. Um, so our templating for tokens is to you know add a number of tokens, uh, discard a number of tokens. Um, so we always say like you know the, the the a number of tokens if we ever have to refer to it. Um, but then we got to a one of our later locations uh, is called the. The, the sunken outpost and it is an outpost that is sinking into a swamp. And so it builds up water tokens representing water flooding into the the outpost. Um and uh uh we uh I apologize. I, I think I might have been saying that we we add in a, a a number of tokens, but we we'll just say the token's name. We won't actually say the word token after it. So it'll be like you know, add the number of neglect or the number of uh, charges, whatever, on here. Um, so with water, we were writing the the rules wording and it was saying, you know, equal to the number of water on this. <laughs> and it technically follows our guide, right? But because of how water is pluralized, it just kind of sounded bad, right? Like it reads weird. You read that sentence and you're like, that doesn't quite sound right. And so in this case, we decided to use the word amount instead instead of number. And I know this might sound like a very silly diversion. You know, These are nearly synonymous. But this is the kind of thing we look at when we're trying to technically write this. We want to write it as consistently as possible. So this is a slight break, but it reads so much better to uh, do something equal to the, num- the amount of water on this uh, location instead of the number of water on this location. Uh, so that's that's an example of a time that we kind of made a conscious choice to break away from style just for the readability of the card. Uh, I, and, th- and then I, if, if you'll indulge me one more story, I think my other favorite one was today we were working on a card <laughs> uh, called uh, the Green Guardian. And uh, I guess it, its actual thematic effect isn't super important, but we were looking at the challenge effects. These are those different little bars on our path cards that represent... When the path cards kind of come alive and do their own thing, and we had to look at uh, the uh, the object in the game that the challenge effect was affecting, and so the <laughs> rules wording on the card was uh saying uh, you know what the challenge effect affects, and uh it had effect and effect right after each other following our normal templating and you know, we'd read it, we'd be like, oh, that looks good, and then Andrew would try to read it out loud, and <laughs> like, you know, we'd start tripping over our own words and stuff. So we ended up completely rewording that ability to avoid putting effect and effect directly next to each other. Uh, so we, we slightly broke templating on that as well, just to avoid smashing those words right next to each other.
3: What was the solution? I want to know what the challenge effect affects.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is.
3: The, the solution was what just...
1: The solution? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the card specific card up in front of me. I didn't want to get into all the technicalities of everything else that this card is doing. Uh, mm-hmm. You'll just have to travel to the fractured wall and see what the green guardian does for yourself when you get the game. <laughs> well, it was it's also to, a pretty
3: wild effect,
1: so... It is, yeah. Like, yeah,
3: it's, I think that's the... Whenever we like, kind of have to... Like, not, so it's not necessarily, it feels like breaking template, There's there, are, but there are effects that are kind of like these singular cards that don't necessarily fit into any template. Um, and there are a lot of these like one-ofs. I mean, you go to a specific location, there's this one card that does this really cool thing uh, that kind of breaks the mold of like, everything else in the game. And that, that's an example of one where like we didn't really have any other wording to draw from uh, in kind of finalizing that card's text effect, uh, which made it extra challenging. Awesome.
0: Thanks for your uh, question, Quacks. (laughs) And we're going to move on to our final question from Robert. And Robert says, I know you have done the red, blue, and yellow color icons to help out with cognitive load during play, but will there also be player aids to further reduce this cognitive load? Also, what age and above would you recommend this game for?
1: Yeah, I think that's that's a good question. Um, So the red and blue and yellow color icons uh, that Robert is referring to are challenge effects. Those are kind of what I was referencing earlier, which are these effects on our path cards that go off. Anytime you perform a test, you do something in the game, you're going to draw this challenge card, and it'll have an icon on it that will activate any challenge effects that match the icon on that card. And this kind of is how we represent creatures hunting each other you know the weather going off. Any things outside of your control happening in the game are these effects. And uh, he's referencing how this reduces cognitive load. During the Kickstarter, I wrote a article um, about kind of cognitive load, uh, so the amount of complexity and how we're trying to design the game to help players process that complexity while they play to make the game kind of simpler in execution. Um, it kind of came about because you know our our cards have a lot of text on them, so the board can look kind of intimidating. But once you actually kind of get a mental model of how it works, it's pretty easy to execute, and it plays pretty smoothly. And so I was trying to kind of articulate how we are trying to design the different systems to kind of facilitate that. And one of the ways these challenge effects achieve that is because they're each very clearly and boldly signaled on the card with these bright colors and they don't have ongoing passive effects you need to worry about. Instead, they're just triggered this one time. And so when they trigger, they go off, and then you don't have to worry about them again. So you you know like if you want to play as optimally as possible, you want to memorize all of them and be aware of the probability of them coming up. But newer players can just kind of let the world happen to them around them and then just focus on the thing they want to do in front of them and then let things happen and kind of discover the game that way. And so it enables them to kind of parcel that off and not worry about those effects until when they they trigger and compartmentalize all the information in front of them uh so robert is asking so with my big preamble explaining to people (laughs) who might not uh have some of the backstory that robert is building on robert's asking what else are we doing to uh, kind of achieve this and help people um uh, s- s- sorry guys, I know I'm kind of monopolizing our question time today. <laughs> a lot of them are game up, design this week uh, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um uh so uh one of the the big things we're doing uh kind of building on this discussion of these challenge effects is we're trying to minimize kind of ongoing passive effects, these being effects that are constantly true and constantly changing lots of things about the board uh an example of one that we might have is. Um, reduce the presence this is a, a value on our cards reduce the presence of all cards in this area by one right this is something that's always true and you always have to remember every time you look at that value you have to you know remember oh another card is reducing it by one and so this can get very hard uh, it can really increase the cognitive load on players to have to remember you know one is easy two gets a little tricky three, four, five different passive effects on the board, you all have to remember them all and do all the math to combine them all and figure out how they all layer. The cognitive load there can be pretty high. So we're trying to minimize effects like that. And we're instead working our design into triggered effects, effects that have specific timing windows that are very clearly marked next to the effect. Or you know, with these challenge effects, it's very boldly shown with these bright colored bars. And so it very clearly signals, you need to worry about this text at this specific time. And the rest of the time, you can kind of let your eye pass over it and just worry about the other things. And so by kind of compartmentalizing all of our different, the design of the game, we're kind of hoping that players can just focus on one thing at a time. Um, So beyond just the challenge effects, we're doing that with most of our other design of the game, including like how the Ranger cards work, even the gear you equip. Most of the time is that these ongoing passive effects, but instead it gives you boons that you can decide when to activate. Uh, The another big thing we're doing to kind of stage complexity and and, and help players out is we are trying to kind of stage the complexity over the span of the campaign. So we start you off with a prologue experience um, that Andrew's written up, where you actually kind of can build your character and kind of slowly learn. The different systems of the game, and get cards kind of introduced to you, and then you enter into a first mission, which is kind of very simple and um, kind of holds your hand through uh, bringing you to different the different systems and kind of introduces these different parts of the game to you. And then you know uh, we give you some time to explore the open world, and only after that do we start giving you things with a little more urgency and things with a little more stakes and bringing you down to areas of the valley with terrain that has more complex effects and more things going on and layering things on. And so the nature of our campaign and how our open world kind of unfolds for you is we're hoping to kind of ramp up the experience, starting with a more simple experience with only limited pieces and then layering things on so that you kind of build your mental model for what, you know, certain terrain types in the valley look like and then adding to that with new spins later in the game. So it's like, well, I know these different terrain types, but now I have to make these hard decisions about which direction of, to go and which of these terrain types to use while I'm trying to complete this intense mission. And so by kind of layering this, we're hoping to kind of build mental models for you. So by the end of the game, you're doing things you couldn't hope to achieve when you first started out.
0: Fantastic. Does anyone else want to put in some words
3: <laughs> yeah i mean uh oh evan do you want to say anything
0: oops and <laughs> it's not my rails just zoning out
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: i Go like on, i i think you mentioned you know fisher that uh um you know the, the letting the world just kind of like do its thing i think that's a uh like a, a really Big plus for this card game versus other games is that you can really, if you wanted to. So, like I think the uh, Robert was asking maybe about player player aids too. Did you mention something like that? I mean, it's it's you know, yeah, player, player, player aids age?
1: and uh, to further yeah. reduce. Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah. So uh, as far as player
3: aids go, um, I think one of the biggest ones uh, is the uh, the common tests card. Which has the the tests that you can always do on uh, various things in the environment. So you can always like traverse a location. You can traverse features. You can always connect with beings in play. Um, you, if a beings in play, you can also evade it and you can exhaust it. And then you have uh, an ability to remember your ranger training, where you can go through your deck, um, you know, a limited portion of your deck, and then draw a card into your hand. And by and large, you could get by just doing those things <laughs> at the beginning. Like if you didn't want to worry about specific tests on cards or any of like the response triggers, even the challenge effects, you could just play with those uh, those common tests. Get a lot of stuff done, draw challenge cards, see what happens, learn as you play what the various challenge effects do. Like I think one of the interesting things I've observed in demoing the game is that players who are really familiar with uh, with complex card games sometimes get bogged down in trying to, like you were saying, Fisher, like understand everything. Like, yeah,
1: optimize.
3: <laughs> optimize, want to read every single challenge effect so they know like all the ins and outs before they even do anything. Um, and uh, it takes them a little bit while to get going, but they eventually do get going. Whereas people who... Are new to this style of game, uh, just kind of jump in with the theme and just do stuff and then see what happens and uh, From what i 've observed uh people who are who are new to card games or haven't had a lot of experience with them uh, tend to get on board with the systems a lot faster and easier because they're just not worried they see text and things and they're like ah whatever i'll just <laughs> I'll go swim over here, that sounds cool, and then they go do that <laughs> and then stuff happens and you know uh, yeah, they learn learn that way
1: it's the role playing game half of our of our system right
3: yeah, allows yeah.
1: them to just kind of like go experience the world totally
3: so I think you know as far as you know playing with kids like I think uh, you, you know you'll know you'll know your own kids and what their capabilities are how what their tolerance is for reading and how, what their patience is like, how long they want to sit down and play a game. Uh, so I I don't like age ranges because I, I don't think <laughs> anyone is uh, necessarily created... Like, you, you don't reach an age threshold. It's like, oh, yeah, now I finally have the ability to play this game. There's nothing in this game that's, uh, like, content-wise is, like, inappropriate for kids or anything. Um, I think we, we've done a pretty good job of... Uh, making a, a relatively family-friendly game uh, definitely by today's standards, I would say, very family, family-friendly game. Uh, so from that perspective, I think you should feel comfortable with you know, kids of any age. Um, but you're just going to have to judge for yourself, like how much reading they want to do, Will they really get excited about a card, a handful of cards with cool text effects uh i don't know maybe <laughs> um, <laughs> cool. but you could also like like i said you can simplify the game though the game does allow for that like if you really want to play a simplified version with your kids you could like you could but i you know like i said i wouldn't say kids should play a simplified version i don't believe that let them do what they want to do
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh but you could definitely play with you know just the energy with the approach icons with the with the common tests and you could, I think, have a, a pretty decent time uh, doing that. You might get a little little dry after a while, but <laughs> it's definitely a way to to onboard new players for sure.
0: Well, thank you, everybody, for your questions once again. Uh, reach out to us anywhere you can find us. We'll answer. <laughs> we'll answer you. <laughs> and that brings us to our next segment called Work Stories. And we're going to talk to Evan. <laughs> Looks like you've been, you made some trail mix. What's this?
2: Yep. Yeah. Trail mix and uh, some gorp. It's real good. It's tasty. <laughs> um, no. Um, yeah. I just finished uh, one of Joe's sketches, which was trail mix, which is a ranger card. And it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, hot on the heels of that, I wrapped up just today, I guess. Yeah it's done right would you say it's done well no i have one final edit to make on the uh the journal uh field journal so yeah i um i just did another worked on another one of joe's sketches today turned it into a, a finished piece of art for the game uh field journal it's pretty cool looking uh joe made a really cool sketch and i did my best to make it look as cool as possible and you <laughs> golden, um or, sorry, go ahead on yeah i was going to just say evan i remember you talking
0: about how you work with joe's art and i I, th- yep. I think you said that you sometimes just kind of keep the exact proportions and things and just kind of
2: draw over what he's already drawn or yeah so early on when we started this process we didn't really have uh it was just out of necessity. We had to get content created for the Kickstarter and it ended up working out really well. But um, w- when we started doing it, I would go over his sketch and refine it to a point where it made sense with me. And I even, I think I even wrote, uh, contributed an article about talking about the creative process between the three of us, uh, Andrew, Joe, and I, and how I'm just, just transforming his stuff into applying my, i don't know techniques that i've developed on top of his sketches but having to refine them first because i didn't feel comfortable interpreting his gesture gestural strokes and stuff like that but now i am got to the i've got to the point with a lot of his sketches it becomes a fun exploration where i'm it's kind of up to me how i interpret his his sketches and i think it in sometimes it produces a really interesting result. If I don't really know exactly what is on this character's gauntlet, I just kind of make it up. Um, And, you know, I I think the result is something that no one really (laughs) plans for or expects. And I think that's just kind of a fun thing. And if, if that can, it's almost like um, in star Wars, I think the same components that made up IG 88 were, were also parts of the cantina, uh, behind the bar in the cantina and a new hope or something. It just kind of reminds me of that. Like it's, you know, these things become, I look forward to contributing things to the Earthborn world in an unexpected way. If, and that in the way that's happening right now is just interpreting Joe's sketches, um, into cool, weird things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's really fun. Hopefully cool. Yeah, That's so. yeah, definitely
3: cool. You should just des- like describe it a little bit. I was going to say, so, which, um, which one, so that like people can build a?
2: Sure. A, okay. Well, a, a I'll, I'll describe sure. Trail Mix. Yeah. um <laughs> It's so when Andrew Fisher first saw uh, the in progress Trail Mix, he thought it looked like the alien egg from from Aliens. <laughs> I guess was there were there eggs in Alien? Oh or yeah. Or was it just aliens? Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: They they, they like okay. land on the planet and then like they they enter the field of eggs and lean over one. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> pretty much trail mix looked like it was spewing out of one of those things turned on its side. Um, and the original sketch Joe created was this cool, like oversized pea pod thing that was being used as a container, like a natural container for, um, this, you know, earthborn variety of trail mix. Um, and then I ended up adding some things to it to try to make it not look so alien, or whatever, um, because there's some, the whole thing is sitting on a log, and I covered the log in like these like, clusters of moss and stuff, and the moss ended up looking like slime. <laughs> so, um,
1: it's not sounding like appetizing it, be... trail mix here. Evan. I know, yeah, are... I
2: know, it's really funny. I wish I, I should I should share it. Um, maybe, I, maybe it can be saved for an update, yeah. something, but um, yeah, it. And as far as the trail mix goes, I had no, I have no idea what, uh, earthborn denizens of the Valley eat. I just made a bunch of crazy looking things based on like the nuts and little bits that Joe sketched and (laughs) made some, made some of them interesting colors. And, uh, I couldn't stop thinking about fuchsia and red, putting fuchsia and red together. And I really want to start doing that for a couple pieces. I don't know why I just, it's like, uh, I'm just being inspired by those two colors for some reason. spring. I don't know what it is. Maybe, yeah. It's a cool combo. Um, So, yeah. Other than that, um, art's coming in every day. Uh, Getting fantastic location pieces. Um, I just received a color rough for some path cards and a location card. Uh, Ancestors Grove. Um, I got color roughs for that. It looks really cool. Uh, I got a finished piece from the same artist doing answers grove uh philosopher's garden it looks really neat really cool oh yeah the philosopher's
1: garden is cool because it has like these plants growing in like geometric patterns right
2: yeah yep and that goes back to another one of joe's sketches um he one of his one of the first sketches i gravitated to when i first joined the team uh, and andrew was getting me used to where we house all all of the sketches and things Um, I gravitated to a sketch called Neo Emergent. Yeah, it was Emergent er, Neo
3: Forest, I think was the. Emergent
2: (laughs) Neo, yeah, yeah. And I I, I at first didn't know what I was looking at. Uh, But anyways, that that initial sketch made its way into Ancestors Grove. So yeah, some of the earliest conceptual sketches are manifesting into finished pieces. So it's pretty fun to Mm -hmm. see that.
1: Oh, yeah. And we used those sketches, too, when we were, like, creating, concepting the locations in the first place. Um, I remember when I needed to fill out the map, I just opened that sketch folder and would just scroll through and be like, (laughs) what, you know, like, you'd look at it and be like, what is this place, you know? And I know for Philosopher's Mm -hmm. Garden, those weird geometric plants, you know, we started kind of thinking about why are they growing in this way and what other weird properties do they have and a whole Mm -hmm. quest line spun off um, behind the 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 flowers and the pollen coming off of these plants i I won't spoil too much of it but there's a whole little plot line related to these (laughs) these plants that started out as just one of joe's sketches yeah Hmm.
2: yeah um adding to that uh another Oh, what was it so i'm getting a lot of uh character sketches into or character line work which is the intermediate step until there's final character art um from an artist and so almost all of the characters that appear in the game are 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 complete um which is really exciting but i think i know you're talking about fisher um how that those flowers are informing this uh, storyline because one of the artists intuitively added something to the backpack of one of the characters and it wasn't Uh even intentional but it's it all it actually makes sense with the story um it's kind of neat. I don't know. It's not really. I don't know if I'm spoiling it if I mention which character. I think it is, we're, we're we're maybe we're
1: suitably vague at the moment, so you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: No spoilers here. So it's all coming along. You. Yep. You're a workhorse, Evan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh Fisher, your turn to talk
1: oh yeah what have i been up to hasn't he talked to yeah I've, 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 I've talk talked enough. i'm done here <laughs> um.
0: keep it short
1: I, I mean like it's gonna be short because uh I think last time I was like andrew and I are just starting card council where we sit in a, sit on a virtual room and talk about cards. well, we're now just finishing card council, so that's all we've done <laughs> that's that's an exaggeration we we've done other things, but there's been a lot of us sitting on video calls talking about cards um but we're like we just have just a few more uh. We're so close.
3: Yeah, we're so close. Tomorrow
1: is the end of card council, (laughs) unless knock on. Yeah, um,
3: it should it should be like this. This last batch has been going relatively quickly, and I know what's coming, and I I just don't I don't foresee much problem.
1: Yeah, with anything, I I don't think so. So, uh, so we're wrapping that up. Um, we are also starting uh work with um our partners who are translating. Cards um, and so, you know, uh, both the Italian and German pre-order stores have gone up, and uh, we're working with them to kind of get them started on translating the parts of the game that are ready for them to start translate, uh, translating. And then the last cool thing to report is um, uh, Sam Gregor Stewart is just wrapping up the last of the writing for the campaign guide. So we still have a lot of iteration work to go on that, and like polishing and editing work to go on it, uh, but the first the full first draft of the campaign guide in all of its beefy glory is 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 done Uh, so that that's pretty exciting so cool
0: awesome who's more difficult to work with italians or germans
1: (laughs) (laughs) both of our partners have been great uh i've worked with a lot of different uh companies localizing games across my career and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they definitely have their ups and downs in the diff- different relationships. One of the things that I've been really excited about with uh, both Frosted Games and Fantasia, um, Frosted Games in Germany and Fantasia in Italy, is they are have been really interested in the game and excited about the game and, like, communicative. And it's a lot more collaborative than some other relationships I've had uh, in the past. And so that's been really exciting. So uh, that being said... Uh, Anything you print in English is going to be like 50% longer in German. And so Mm, when you look at some of our English cards and see how cramped that text is, that's a nightmare. (laughs) And so (laughs) I'm glad we have uh, Frosted Games to uh, help us figure out how to make that happen.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, I had a great conversation with Ben at Frosted Games uh, this past week. Man, I don't know. It's, it's It's been a lot of long days. I've totally lost track of time um but uh he made a very impassioned speech about language usage in in germany and and how he feels about localizations of card games in Germany, and how terrible he thinks they are mm. uh, largely because he 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 said that he felt that. Is because those translations were being done very literally, like essentially just mimicking the right. mimicking the English text. And uh, so, you know, he talked to me about the types of things he wants to do differently. And you know, the being able the game being able to be uh, easily read aloud is an important thing for me. So I was initially I was kind of nervous about it, but then he gave me this really impassioned speech, and I was like, it totally turned me around. And I was like, you know, what do I know about? how To write yeah. things in German, I, I know nothing. So, like, <laughs> if he has opinions on how to do it better, then uh, you know, I'd be a, an idiot to tell him no. So, right, uh, so yeah, he's he showed me a, a few of the a few example like localizations of some of the cards that we they're showing as previews on their on their store, and uh, he came up with some really interesting creative solutions for how to do it. And so far, at least with the cards he has. The text hasn't gotten super small. Uh, and in most cases, it's the same size. Uh, oh, cool. he's, he's doing some interesting things visually, though, to help communicate the text ability that is very different from how we're presenting it in English. And um,
0: mm.
3: I'm uh, excited to see how it's how it's received. Um, but he's super into it, so I'm into it.
0: That's awesome. That's interesting. Because sometimes you get a bad localization, a bad, you know, subtitles or something and you, you think about the the creator that doesn't speak the language that it's been translated into you have no way of knowing if it's well well written or you know if it's mm-hmm. screwed up so I think that guy's speech it, I would trust him if I
3: were you. yeah I, all I can do is trust him same thing with Fantasia I, I, I've been really uh impressed with them also they're they're super enthusiastic about it this is I think their their first Earthborn Rangers is the first game they're publishing. They're a, a re, mm. they're a retailer over there and want to get in on the publishing side. So this is a new adventure for them. And they're incredibly enthusiastic. Uh, and they're going to have some, some uh, video content happening soon. And then I think uh, Fossa Games too in the next few weeks, I think it's going to be doing some, some content with uh, some German press.
0: So did, uh, that's exciting. Did they, us, did they give a speech, though? <laughs> no, they
3: gave me a speech at the beginning when I first met them, when they first approached me. That Man, I just totally can't... won me over. Was so passionate, you know? Like, yeah, uh, I have a lot much. of uh, uh, Italian uh, ancestry, so like it, that, that kind of that fire and passion really speaks right, to right. me. So yeah, they well, they came in, they came in like guns blazing with the with the love and. It,
0: like won me over immediately. <laughs> uh, I feel bad about asking you to pick favorites. They sound—they both sound great. They are both—they are both great. <laughs> and hopefully, we will get more additional more great partners. Or, um,
3: we're—it's—it uh, we're, we're, it, seems likely, but yeah, I, I don't know yet for sure. Wilson. But
1: but but to any of you f- future potential partners who are listening, we do expect impassioned speeches. It is required. Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> they'll go a long way with me anyway. I'm a yeah, yeah. For them.
1: <laughs> Delivered
0: to one man. Yeah. Uh, should we move on to Andrew? Andrew Navarro, do you want to check in with us here? Yeah. So yeah,
3: yeah. So as Fisher mentioned, you know we're we're doing a lot of card council, and um, yeah, card council. I think I mentioned last time. Our council is a thing that ffg uh i don't know who came up with that name it sounds like a christian peterson invention
1: <laughs> um, yeah i don't remember the the source but uh uh yeah so we've just we're just we're just
3: carrying on the tradition um and that's it's been a lot of fun but yeah, yeah fisher and i've been on calls like five hours a day <laughs> for the last like week two weeks <laughs> almost yeah, are, you,
1: are you sick of me yet <laughs> no never
3: never never. i thought you were getting a little sick of me a couple days ago uh but i feel like we got we got through
1: got through it just fine oh uh, you know you get video call fatigue <laughs> well, after so many days of this you know.
2: yeah absolutely <laughs> i i'm I'm kind of sick of card console because it's hard to get a hold of Andrew <laughs> <laughs> with all my all my art questions. It's, it's almost yeah. over,
1: Evan. <laughs> yeah,
3: I know. It's like it's a really important thing to do. So, like, I, I know I need to spend time doing it. Um, but, yeah, it has made other things kind of like shove to the side uh, because I can only work so many hours the day. And, um, you know, sometimes I work relatively late, but I don't know. At the end of the night like last night i was like sending out artist contracts and i was i woke up in the morning i was like man i hope i didn't make any mistakes on those <laughs> i was like totally out of juice by you know 10:30, 30 11 at night um yeah yeah but uh the other thing i've been trying to do is get the pre-order store ready because you know as as you know as you know fisher mentioned like the pre-order stores for italian and german are up and we don't have one up for english yet and uh that was definitely not by design. Uh, the hope was to have it up at the same time that the Italian and German um, stores went up. But that's been really It's been a really challenging thing for me. This is all like part of part of the industry and part of the business that is completely new to me. So all this stuff, I'm just you know learning as I go, talking to people, getting advice, uh, trying to do the best I can, and. It started off, I was planning on launching our pre-order store in January. But then I had the thought, I was like, oh, wait, I need to make sure to, that Frosted Games and Fantasia are able to do it say, they're, they're not going to want me to launch my pre-order store before their pre-order store launches. I need to coordinate. So then I coordinated with them on that, and, you know, picked the date and we were going to do it uh, like a right around Earth Day. That's a fun thing. Um, and then... Had, then we got all their all the assets they needed um and you know that that took a long time uh just because you know i have other things going on um but they got all their stuff ready their stores look awesome uh Fantasia's site in particular is fantastic uh it's like a dedicated almost completely dedicated site to, to Earthborn earthborne rangers pretty awesome um so they got all their stuff ready but then as we were preparing to as i was like going through my mental checklist of all the things I needed to do for the pre-order store. Uh, I really started feeling like I need to make sure that shipping prices are finalized before we launch this thing. Um, and shipping is something that during the Kickstarter, I didn't charge anybody shipping and I said, we're going to charge shipping later or like nearer to fulfillment just to make sure that the price is fair and accurate. Um, because, uh, for your edification Anders, At that time, because mm-hmm. of COVID, uh, you know, supply chain stuff's all messed up. Freight, international freight is all jacked up. And there are lots of instances where Kickstarter creators were just getting raked over the coals with freight charges from mm-hmm. China, uh, like just going up just astronomically. It, it ended up being, you know, some like four, five, six times more to get their game across the ocean than they had initially planned Um, so they were forced to either you know go back to the backers and say hey (laughs) we need more money sorry uh or uh just eating it eating it and then you know i don't know how many people can afford to do that uh and still survive so um obviously we couldn't do that but we also have the benefit of not planning on using ocean freight because we wanted to manufacture in the states and in Europe where the game was being you know delivered uh, so it's not as high stakes for me to not charge shipping but shipping just driving around that price has also gone up and um, so i wanted to make sure we were you know i wasn't charging you know 20 summer of 2021 rates when it came to you know fall of 2022. Uh, cause I, you know, we don't have that much money to spare. Um, so a mistake like a horrible mistake like that could, you know, be the difference between life or death for, for our company. If, uh, if, if we don't have enough money to pay for mm-hmm. shipping, cause it's, 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 it's really expensive. Um, so, uh, so I went down this road of like, okay, I got to make sure to get like updated quotes for everything and, you know, get all that in there. And, uh, as I was doing that work, I just I had been planning on going one direction where it was kind of like a one-stop shop for shipping, um, just because it, it saved me time and energy. Uh, but then when I got the quote back this last time, the prices were, I felt a little bit too aggressively expensive. So I'm um, now... We're, I'm now in contact with and getting quotes from additional fulfillment companies that are more competitively priced, um, that are slightly more expensive than the rates we have on the QSER page, but they're not like that other quote I got, which was, I thought, a little bit crazy. So, um, nah, it's not crazy. They can, they can charge what they want. Like if people can afford it, then that's great. I don't feel like we could, and I don't feel like I wanna pass that on to the to the backers. So um, so that's the thing that's holding out the pre-order store right now is that I, I want to make sure that the shipping's done. And so, so as soon as we get those shipping prices, we'll not only be able to put those in the pre-order store, but then I'll be able to communicate to the backers what the shipping prices are, and then uh, everyone can rest and know that I'm not going to like hammer them for a billion dollars of shipping, which I've learned, you know, in conversation with a couple people. Uh, where some of this trepidation comes from because uh, I was in a meeting today and uh, the person I was meeting with was telling me the experience they had with a Kickstarter where um, they were charged, you know, they backed the thing. It was like, I don't know, 80 80 bucks, maybe 70 bucks, something like that. And then uh, they got hit with shipping and it was like
1: $95.
3: So, Mm. Yeah, You end up paying more in shipping than the thing that you back, and I think that's what people are afraid of. Um, mm-hmm. but I uh, and I, I can totally understand that if that happened to you, like I'd be like, Oh my god, what is this $100 charge on my card? I was like, Oh my god, that's shipping, that's insane. Um, but our Kickstarter and our products are not going to incur that great expense. Um, we're not shipping from China, like, like I said a couple episodes ago. We may end up having to do freight from Europe to the US if we can't find a printer here. Um, But that that freight is far, far less expensive. It's very reasonable. Um, uh, And then we'll be shipping a lot to Europe from Europe um, where we print. So that x-factor of freight isn't something that's really going to throw shipping through the roof. so that's, I think people could rest a little bit about that. Uh, and then also knowing that there's not a huge difference in the price of shipping from like a core set, like a single core set to everything. Because uh, the core set's the heaviest thing. It's about five pounds. Uh, and everything else is much, much lighter than that. And they don't take up a whole lot more space. So there's, so if you get everything versus just getting like a core set, uh, the difference in shipping is not. It's super consequential. It is slightly more expensive, but it's not crazy. Um, and there is no way in hell that shipping will be $100 or even $50. Or like I, I guess in some, I take that back, there are some European countries that I know have very high shipping, uh, mm. but I think they're very used to that. So, um, But for the bulk of our backers, that won't be the case. Uh, so uh, as soon as I get that squared away, Prayer Store will launch sooner, rather, as soon as humanly possible. Uh, that that will happen because I want to I want to make the game available for everybody who wants to come mm. in and get on board before we uh, fulfill.
0: That is my update. Sure, there's a lot of people excited for that, and we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. we're back. We had to <laughs> pause the recording, you guys. Some technical difficulties. Sorry if Andrew's audio was a little poor before this moment but he's back in crystal clear 4k audio sort of thing. i think you guys should just stop me i, I
3: there's nothing yeah. that i like less than <laughs> poor audio in video I and podcasts well i i, 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 didn't, even, I didn't even i
1: didn't even notice at first right and it was just you could hear the echoiness of your room and like and we kind of realized it mid-episode so and you haven't <laughs> spoken much,
0: so like it's been mostly a Fisher-heavy
1: show. Yeah, right, so right. I've been really hogging the limelight here. So. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, that's frustrating. That's frustrating. Yep. Sorry. It, it, it was, you know, I have these, these, this monitor on my headphone, so I heard it in here. Mm-hmm. So like, my mic was mm-hmm. working, but also the... You know, the my, other one my was my happening in, and muddying it.
0: Yeah. Damn. But you're back, cleared, right. for our favorite new segment... We're counting down our top five favorite games of all time. Most influential. Most influential games. Most influential. That's right, right, right. Most influential. And uh, we're on number four. We're going to start with me. And mine. Okay, so I'm I'm kind of doing mine and kind of like telling the story of, of games that kind of, I don't know, were just big moments in my life. So last week... It was uh, Super Mario Brothers for the NES, probably the first video game I ever played. Um, So then, you know, I was into Nintendo for a while, and I had a Sega Genesis, and then I started getting into baseball a lot. I was thinking about choosing that as a game, but last week, I think we established that it's a sport, but I was majorly into baseball as a kid, and um, I kind of drifted away from video games, games in general. And I think wh- whenever the Dreamcast came out, my friend got a Dreamcast and we spent hours in his basement playing this game called Virtua Tennis. Uh-huh. Has anyone ever played this game? <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> this game, yeah, is amazing. There's an arcade arcade version of it as well. I don't know what came first. I'm sorry, I'm not really prepared to talk about this one because I just kind of (laughs) thought of it before. I I thought of it when we were making our um, our lists. So I have my list, but I didn't really think about what I was going to say about this game. So I'm just kind of winging this. Uh, Virtua Tennis, um, just the physics of it felt so amazing. The way you you, I think that's a big theme for me. Like what draws me to games is how does it feel to play. and that game just feels great. It's so simple. I think there's like there's a lob shot and a, whatever the other kind of shot would be called. Um, and I don't even know how they do it, but you you kind of you just get kind of near the the ball, and you kind of just start getting this muscle memory for the buttons, and you kind of know when to start. I think the earlier you start winding up, the better sh- the shot will be. So you want to. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of about. Um, Anticipating where the other player is gonna hit the ball, so you're already running there, and you can start holding down A or whatever it was. What a Dreamcast have? Did it have letters or? Yeah, I don't remember. It or... I don't... <laughs> push push down the hit hit button as soon as you can, and then you're you're gonna get a monster hit back, and that playing that game in the basement with that friend, along with uh, Sega Hockey '94, those mm-hmm. two games. Are just like the multiplayer, um, like my childhood multiplayer uh, epitome of of gaming for me. Um, what the hell was that sentence? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> my it's just it's, it's just a, a big uh, memory for me, and I love Virtua Tennis. And then I grew to love real tennis, which is another amazing game. Just tennis, um, but yeah, Virtua Tennis. Do you still play real tennis? Uh, not not recently, but I would love to keep to pick it up again. Yeah, how about you?
3: I'm terrible at tennis and <laughs> baseball. I'm I'm not very good in golf. I'm not very good <laughs> with things that I need to. Yes, like yeah, I want to be able to control it directly. So mm-hmm. like, I enjoyed I enjoyed darts. Yeah, uh, bowling? I like dis I like disc golf. Bowling. I'm not good at bowling. Yeah. Um. No, I I don't feel like an abundance of control when I'm when i'm bowling yeah <laughs> but i so do have hitting... tr- I, I do have trouble with 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 rackets now, rackets in particular mm. i have a lot of trouble with um but i've tried tennis my wife is very good at tennis uh mm. and she often wishes that i could play so that i posed even the slightest challenge to her yeah uh, right
0: <laughs> she just creams yeah <laughs> yeah maybe i should take up a, a virtue at tennis get a dreamcast to <laughs> Yeah, I had I had Virtua Tennis for my Dreamcast. It was awesome. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. it's so awesome. My favorite guy was uh, Philip philipousis, and oh yeah, my friend, my friend played as peoline and then we wrote a song about Philippusus and Pioleen. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> so, awesome. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know why I, those two players. There's I don't think there's anybody actually famous in that game. I think they got the right do you
3: still scene. have that song could we like go out yeah can we uh, can we outro with that? your
0: song <laughs> i could try to find it actually that'd be awesome uh, I've, man i, I haven't heard that. that in years that's 2001 <laughs> yeah, <I> <laughs> oh man we did record it though yeah we were very, we were very influenced by tenacious d at that time oh yeah, yeah. That perfect kind of vibe <laughs> yeah epic battle between the two uh unknown tennis players <laughs>
2: I for tennis I I played tennis a little bit. I was never very good at it. Um same reason as I'm as you Andrew, I don't I'm not good at swinging and, and implement at mm-hmm. something. With bowling it's like tennis, I just throw it as hard as I can. <laughs> <laughs> but it works better in bowling yeah than it does in not tennis cuz if you just try to cream the thi- the ball in tennis it just doesn't out work of the out. court,
0: and, out of the court.
2: Yep. And yeah, I think my my list is
0: is like it's it's taking us to later in life is when I really fell in love with games. Maybe the past five years or so, and that was just a, just a blip where I, I I it piqued my interest again, and I started to get into games a little more, and then it dipped back, and then I mm-hmm. it's like I'm I'm into music now, you know, this or that. So
1: well, you wrote a stay tuned. You, you wrote a song about it, so it clearly <laughs> impacted your life deeply enough to. <laughs> to exactly. Write a song about
0: friendship, like my fr- my my friendship with that friend that I played with, and and writing songs with him. That was a big, you know, centerpiece for that. And uh, yeah, stay tuned to see what the game was that that really really sucked me back into games. <laughs> in later later episodes. Ooh, what's it gonna be? It's a narrative that's yeah, unfolding. I'm, I'm a storyteller, man. Um, Evan, what's
2: your number four game? so uh, this is number four it it almost could be higher up there but um yeah it it, this is number four because it was a gateway into board gaming for me because up until up until i started working for ffg and the years that led up to that i was my experience was monopoly and you know they're the supermarket board games you can buy. But I ended up playing HeroQuest when I was like 14 with some friends. And we weren't even really playing it correctly because we all had come from playing Monopoly and Sorry and stuff like that. So, But the idea that there was a story that you could follow that unfolded over 14 quests and there was downtime in between where you could purchase equipment and each player had their own strengths and weaknesses um it really like sparked some interest in in not just l- hobby gaming but also just hobby game development for fun because immediately after i completed hero quest as the that dungeon whatever dungeon master game master whatever um i started my the people that i introduced the game to loved it so much that i I didn't know what else there was. There was Descent and other dungeon delving games at the time, but I just decided to like make my own quests. Um, and I had this whole idea where the heroes, the next quest would be on an island, and they would travel in between locations, in between dungeons, and there would be a chance for a random encounter, which be take place on a much smaller little battle map or whatever. Um, so it just really generated all these ideas, and that informed my creative interests with with board games and what ultimately led to my my first job in the industry as a graphic designer at uh, FFG so uh HeroQuest really like springboarded everything for me and I I still play it uh, my wife and I played uh HeroQuest through covid the lockdown in early or er, in 2020 and we completed it and yeah, she really loved it. She created this <laughs> she created like this um these relationships with the characters and stuff <laughs> that was almost like D and D. It was really fun to watch and I and I would tell her you would be phenomenal at D and D. You'd be way better than me. Um because she would just enrich the experience by every time something happened if a hero was struck down it. It affected the story in her head that
1: played out. Yeah, she's like <laughs> so, har- character awesome. building as you so, played. That's awesome.
2: Yep.
3: Yeah. Were you playing the new version, the the
2: Hasbro Supercharged or whatever that service is called? <laughs> Hasbro yes. Pulse. Uh, not during, not in 2020. Um, but I had backed it at okay. that point.
3: I, I don't remember when that came uh, out. I didn't. I did not back that, so I'm not sure what it, the chronology is.
2: It came out. Boy, I think back in November or something uh, is when I got it, I think. But we did play the first quest of one of the expansions because I bought in at the Mythic tier, which gave you all the expansions. And um, we just got got wasted. (laughs) (laughs) It was the the quest was Return of the Lich King, I think. And the first quest, you just you get jumped by a ton of skeletons and mummies and zombies, and they just they swarmed us. <laughs> so it's awesome, fun. Though. awesome.
0: Yeah. I'm looking at pictures of it, and I'm remembering that I got this for Christmas one year. <laughs> what? And oh, my gosh. You've talked about it so much. I never made the connection, but this is so me. I, I didn't have any friends to play it with,
2: <laughs> and I
0: just, like, laid around looking
2: at the little figurines, you know, yeah. loving the... And the pieces of furniture. Yeah. There's so much... Love and care put into the component yeah, components it was in that game.
0: So cool! I remember like unboxing it and just loving it, and then just under my bed for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, kind of like that you was a joint D&D. production
3: with GW, right, or Citadel at the time, mm-hmm.
0: right? But but it was like yep. it was like there were like children's TV commercials for it, right? Oh yeah, I feel like I yeah. saw that on like Nickelodeon or something. Yeah, yes, good choice. But um, some of
2: the higher level enemies in that game were. Taken right out of Warhammer Fantasy, I think Chaos mm-hmm, Knights. Mm-hmm. I think though they're just they're uh, Chaos is a faction,
1: and Games Workshop was just Warhammer running out of time Warhammer. on this uh, special assignment. They're just like yeah, ah, just throw a throw a Chaos Knight yeah. in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're
2: not? One of the unfortunate things about the Hero the Hasbro Pulse um, re, reboot of it is they replace the Fimmer, which is like which is a um, a creature. That was that appeared in Hero Quest that I guess exists in in Warhammer lore, and they had to replace it with some some oh, other made an unlicensed. Un- Simmer was creature. really
0: cool looking.
1: Uh, yep. Yeah.
0: All right, let's go on to Fisher's number four. Yeah.
1: So similar to Evan, uh, my number four is kind of what introduced me to game design. Um, as something that I was like considering uh, to that I could actually do um and so my my number four is starcraft um it's maybe not the game you might immediately think of depending on uh, how you played it but i you know I obviously played a bunch of starcraft in the traditional sense of you know, building a base and playing through the campaign and playing terribly online. I was never very good at the multiplayer. Uh, You know, mostly just played with my friends and we'd do big multiplayer matches and uh, build up giant armies and smash them together. So what made StarCraft super influential to me wasn't necessarily the game itself, but the map editor. Uh, As many people probably know, uh, StarCraft had this very robust map editing tool it was basically just Blizzard's internal tool that they would post online. So the UI was awful. There was like no documentation. It was awful to learn. It was not like a slick experience. But you know, uh, there was communities on the internet of people who had learned, figured out how to do different things with this. Um, and this is kind of what introduced me to the idea that I could do this. Um, I it kind of started you know my my friends and I would play various maps made by people and you get some that are pretty polished and well done and then you get the ones that are like halfway finished you know it's labeled with like version that like three 0.37 and it's missing all these features that like the loading screen promises will one day be in the map and it was kind of these half done maps that we were playing that made me realize like or like just ones that had crappily implemented features because they're just made by you know some kid Uh, I was like, you know what? I bet I could do this. You know, this person did did such a bad job. I could do this. Um, and so I started playing around with the map editor. Uh, it was, as I said earlier, not a lot of documentation. So I was pretty bad at it to start. And, you know, I was still pretty young. So I was just kind of experimenting. A lot of it would be looking at forums online or downloading other people's maps and then like opening them up and trying to figure out how they did things and reverse engineer things in your own maps from other people's maps. Uh, and, and kind of like create your own. And so uh, this kind of was my introduction to digital game development and, and game development in general, as I kind of iterated on these maps and made my friends play them. I think I never had... Uh, this story might sound like it's leading to me having published some maps somebody somewhere would have heard of, but that's not the case. I... Uh, <laughs> I like. Uh, I think like three people ever played most of my maps. Uh, <laughs> I I made this one that was like a whole RPG. I made it on the largest size possible, um, and to to maximize space, because you know you still like it's not big enough to make your own whole world. Like I had to like zigzag the story around this map to like just get you know, make the path as long as possible before I ran out of space. And so you went through and it told like this story and I I basically authored this whole interactive adventure inside of StarCraft in this map and then made my friends play through it. Uh, and then I, I think my other most successful map was there was kind of this genre. It was kind of similar to some of the um, EOTS, what would later become... Uh, the MOBAs, like League of Legends. Uh, there was kind of stuff in this era. In addition to those kind of lane battle games, there were these other games where you played as like casters. And so you'd have these like caster characters and be kind of trying to duel each other. And uh, one of the fun things that map makers would have fun with is trying to ent- to create new spells and abilities inside StarCraft, because StarCraft's abilities set was kind of limited. And so you try to kind of use the tools at your disposal to kind of make big dramatic magic spells. So, for example, like uh, my one of my wizard spells that I created was this fireball, and you you shoot it out, and then based on where it impacts, there wasn't like a fireball effect really, but you could spawn fire bats, which are this. Uh, um, this Terran unit, this, this human unit that has all these, uh, chemical tanks on them. So when they die, they explode into a big fireball. And so I would spawn like six fire bats and then immediately kill them to create their death effect <laughs> for my fireball spell. And it was just kind of like, you know, janky stuff like that to kind of, uh, uh create spells that Starcraft couldn't do itself, uh. It, just playing around with that was some of my original game uh, design and development, so that, that StarCraft is number four for me. Awesome.
2: That's awesome. You reminded me. I used to do that with Command & Conquer oh, Red yeah. Alert.
1: I would build a lot of
2: skirmish levels. Me and my friend would play late at night over the modem. Uh, I'd
1: always play as,
2: I don't know, I think I was the allies most of the time, but it <laughs> was a
1: good game. I, I played so much Red Alert. that That game, like had yeah. its tongue firmly in its cheek, and that was great for it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that RPG uh, idea sounds awesome. Oh, it was, it was so much fun, right? It was like, you know, writing this story, it was a lot of outlet for like, you know, ideas that I wasn't able to dungeon master yet, right? Like I could kind of yeah. like write all these stories. And it was fun to like, you pick through all the different StarCraft units and try to find like what thing it would be most accurate represents you know like the creature you needed in your D game and stuff it was fun
3: that's awesome Can you, are those available anywhere
1: <laughs> oh i don't know i have no <laughs> idea
3: <laughs> probably in some archive somewhere
1: well so like the thing about starcraft maps you couldn't like you wouldn't like host the map and people could go like just select it, right? Like people had to have the map and then host games of it. And then if you if you mm. played in a game of it with it, you could download the map and then you could have the map. And so it was kind of this very organic distribution. So I don't know if there's a central hub. The computer I made those on is long gone. I think it was a Windows 95 machine <laughs> in my parents' basement. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. That's
0: great. I'm like this close to connecting with you guys on both these games. I, I had Hero Quest, never played it. Fisher, in high school, there was this place called the Rat Hole, which is the basement <laughs> of my friend. It was, it was just like, you know, an unfinished concrete crumbling basement. Mm-hmm. And on one half of the basement, they had, you know, all their computers set up. Land party, yeah. Style or whatever. And they were just going nuts on StarCraft over there. But I was on the other half, which had band equipment, learning how to play "Bulls on Parade." Poorly, <laughs> that was my path in life. But I was, was this close. I was this close. I, I, I had a similar.
1: I had a similar basement. But yes, I was, as you can imagine, I was on the the, the computer side. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was like Starcraft. What's that? Um. Uh, Andrew, what's your thing that I almost was into? <laughs> I don't. Know. It'd be interesting if you were in, if you were into it. My my
3: first okay. Rage Against the Machine song that I learned was Knowing Your Enemy." Oh yeah, we, of, I think we did
0: that one of, too. A lot of fun to play. Oh man, um, they're really fun to play.
3: Yeah, "Bulls on Parade" is pretty fun too. Just get a wah pedal. It's like it's it's, wham, very, wham, it's wham. like one of the easiest <laughs> songs to play. Um, not counting the solo, of course. The solo um, is hard. Yeah, yeah, was
0: just that was always
3: hilarious. Maniac. the string my uh so I'm, I'm still going in uh chronological order so the, uh, mine are all just in in that or because i they're i don't know i don't want to rank them i want to rank them. okay um so yeah my my number four game is is, is blood yeah the nice. game of fantasy football uh fancy football before <laughs> fancy football was fantasy <laughs> football actually i don't even know that I, I, it, it may be concurrent with it it was um,
1: more like fantasy baseball people were more into fantasy baseball back then right the, yeah in the late 80s yeah. maybe i think so
3: <laughs> you remember that what
1: <laughs> <laughs> 90s i'm not i'm not that young andrew <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: so uh yeah so uh, blood bowl is it was a big one for me that was really uh the first I think really the first, I think board game it's, it's kind of in the middle between a board game and a miniatures game. So, uh, for me going to like a game store, uh, when I was that age, so like 13 years old, 14 years old, um, it it, is so different from what it is today. You know, where I, I have multiple hobby game stores within like striking distance of my house, uh, at that time games oftentimes kind of existed in this like middle place where the, you did like the game section of like a more like a hobby supply store so you'd have like model kits over here and you'd have like other uh, re- model railroad trains in this other aisle and then you'd have like an aisle that had uh hobby games in it and uh there was a store that I went to a lot that was sort of near my house that was like that. So there was this one aisle where they had like a handful of like Games Workshop things, uh, including uh, issues of White Dwarf. Uh, and I was really drawn to White Dwarf. White Dwarf is GW's; um their like official magazine, and it's uh, it's changed a lot through the years, but it's effectively still the same thing. It's a lot of like awesome. Fully painted miniatures, pictures of those miniatures in there, really cool art, alternative rules for their various games and stuff, and uh, I was really drawn to the aesthetic of, of Games Workshop's stuff, but I couldn't afford anything Games Workshop's <laughs> like they, they were expensive then, they're expensive now, <laughs> um, uh, so it, it always seemed like just a little bit, just a little bit out of reach. Um, so I just get issues of White Dwarf. And uh, I remember seeing ads for Blood Bowl in in White Dwarf magazine, and just super excited about it. That first edition of the game, which when I when I think about it now, it's one of those things that I wish I'd not gotten rid of, but it's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've given away pieces. I gave away all my pieces of it. It's all gone. But it had this really cool uh, board that was this styrofoam board that was like made uh, formed like this granite surface that these uh these fantasy beings would then you know clash on this surface and it was called uh oh man what was it uh, astro granite was the was the surface that (laughs) they played on um (laughs) uh so it looked awesome and then it had like a orc team and a human team they're all one miniature and they had these like color bands on the base to, uh, denote the different positions. So like catchers, throwers, blitzers, blockers, linemen. Um, and it just looks so cool. And I, uh, you know, as a, as a football fan and I was a fantasy fan, I was like, oh, this is perfect. And it didn't have very many miniatures. So like each team was, uh, you know, effectively like 12, you could build it up to like 16 miniatures. Uh, I guess they're all the, all the teams at that time were 16. Um, but it was a, it felt, it felt like an approachable way to get into miniatures without having to, you know, buy like a full, yeah, hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's a, it, it, I was super excited about it, but no one I, I had no way to get it. It wasn't, it didn't exist anywhere that I knew near me. I wasn't sure where to go. Uh, there was like another, there was another game store that I knew of that was like way out in the middle of nowhere least from my kid brain um (laughs) that was this like weird little house that's kind of uh, this cut the the convergence of a couple streets and it had a it was just kind of hanging out by itself and it had it was just festooned with games like all over when you walked in there it was like you're walking to their guy's house and he just had games all (laughs) over that he was also selling and then there was like a curtained area in the back where they had like high-backed like leather chairs and a bunch of shit all around where they would you know do uh game sessions and uh, for role-playing and stuff. Uh, but those guys didn't have oh. it. Um, yeah, they're all these like weird little, like hole in the wall places that I would find, um, that, uh, later after I ended up buying Blood Bowl. So Blood Bowl, I finally got a copy. I was, I was, uh, in Toronto with, uh, my family. Um, and I was there, uh, was I, I think I might've been there with Joe. I might've been there with Joe. I had a friend with me. I'm pretty sure it was him. Um, and, uh, I was just exploring, just like walking around Toronto while my brother was playing his, uh, in his soccer tournament. And I was like a few blocks away from the hotel. And, uh, like one of the things I'd used, to, I'd, I'd always do whenever I go to a town is I'd look up in the phone book. If you remember those, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, I would find a, uh, a game store or a comic book store that was nearby. And I'd like beg my parents to take me. Um, so this one was only like a few blocks away from the hotel. So I say, I'm going to go, you know, to the, yeah, it's fine. So I uh, went to the game store, went in there. I looked up one of the, f- the first thing I saw was blood bowl, like up above the counter. And oh, I just yeah. like, Oh my God, I just lost my mind. <laughs> uh, and I was like, Oh, it's here. Oh my gosh. Ah! So I, 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 I you know, went back, asked if I could get it begged. Uh, and then, uh, my parents bought it for me and then I spent the rest of that trip just playing around with that in the hotel, in the hotel room. Um, but yeah, that really like was the first time I really got into a game as a fan and that sent me on a road of, you know, painting minis. Uh, I went and bought like every team I could find they came in these like ugly little plastic <laughs> blister boxes and they're all computer. Um, and it came with like 16 miniatures, but I, I, I'd, i call around to all the weird little hole in the wall stores to see what I could get. Uh, and I just bought whatever I could find. So I got like a dark elf team, a dwarf team. Um, I got like some Skaven, uh, the Skaven were my, were my big, my big team. Um, and, uh, so I ended up getting all these teams and then painting most of them myself and then just kind of recruiting friends to play with me and then made a league. That we played for a couple of years in high school and uh i would keep track of stats and i'd like print <laughs> i every, every time we'd meet I'd, I'd create a little like newsletter for what happened that week and i'd write little stories about each game and the stats and then i'd do illustrations like there were pictures from the game Oh dang that uh, is
1: that's <laughs> highest highlights. production yeah. value awesome. uh, gaming group i've ever heard <laughs>
3: yeah well you know i was super into it i was super into it i was the most i was the person who was the most into it so it only lasted a couple of years and then it was that it was done um yeah but uh yeah i love i i think that came to awesome. i still really enjoy it i I've, I've i've bought every, every edition they've published um uh, uh i have got the latest edition i've been pl- i've played that with uh with my son sam and uh we had a really good time with it uh yeah, it's so yeah. F- for me, like that's the thing that really, that really kind of got me into just like really enthusiastic about about playing a game, and that uh, uh, it meant a lot for me. Le- meant a lot to me in those early, those years in high school, and has you know continued to stick with me uh, all these years. I still get drawn into buying more Blood Bowl teams. Mm. and painting some of them
0: <laughs> i was just looking at i was just looking at the art and stuff i love it it's really cool
3: yeah I'd it's pretty it's pretty before. fun and it's like it's, it's goofy like it's yeah it looks it's a nice style. like diversion uh from like the warhammer stuff which is all like grim dark. it's great that gw has this goofy product where they just don't take themselves too seriously
0: right right <laughs> well awesome that wraps up our number four um, I'm excited to hear about the number threes. Those are all awesome picks. You guys, can we do a, a, a speed round of what we're we're playing? Or just some, yeah, we can do like speed round. round. Let's do speed round. I'll go first. Um, I've been trying out some games on XPath, Xbox Game Pass, and I, I tried Hitman Three mm. because Fisher was talking about Hitman, and it's really cool so far. Um, I tried Tunic. There's a new game kind of zelda inspired little fox uh that seems really cool mm. so far um but mostly i'm I'm in that mode where i just want to play one game because i tried to play other stuff and i, I just want to go play the other game <laughs> and it's still the binding of isaac the game is just very deep and it just it's like gambling it's just like let's see what see what i get this time nice and it uh takes my mind <laughs> off of stuff and i can just get absorbed for like an hour so that's me. Oh, also, this is kind of a funny one. I went to Hub Hobby, and with my daughter, and uh, she picked out a little bouncy ball. And I love this little bouncy ball. And I I've just been walking around the neighborhood, bouncing the ball. <laughs> that's <I'm> really <laughs> uh, that's probably my favorite stress relieving activity. Like when you're bouncing that ball, you can't worry about anything. It, it requires like just enough focus to keep it from bouncing into the street. Try it. Just walk around bouncing a ball. No, hang on, that's y- awesome. Have you tried you, ball? You said your daughter
1: picked this out. Did you steal her bouncy ball?
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. I I, I purchased it. For, it for her or for, for you? Us. Oh, I stole it from her. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I stole her ball from her. That's right. That's right. I, I see what you're saying. Now. Yeah. It's a cool ball. It's a spizzy. It's called a spizzy. Hmm. When you spin it, it looks like, uh, like a hypnotist thing. Anyway, uh, right. Evan, what are you playing? Or what are you doing? What's fun for you? Um,
2: nothing. Uh, I haven't been playing any video games lately, but one ongoing game that I've been participating in is every Thursday with friends playing an RPG um, based on the Genesis dice system that FFG um, produced, which are narrative dice. They're a bunch of positive and negative dice that you put together based on your abilities and the difficulty, and you roll them all together, and kind of do this geomancy or whatever, uh, and f- come with a net positive or net negative result, which is more inf- informative to the narrative than just a d20 roll for for d and d, in my opinion. So, uh, but the reason I'm bringing it up is because last Thursday we wrapped up a huge ongoing campaign. We basically saved the universe, which is <laughs> really Thanks cool. For uh, yeah, I thought yeah, it, yeah, something yeah. seemed different. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but it, it's funny because um the the space that we play in is not the physical space but the world and the that we contribute to. It's being shared by other people. Uh, Zach who runs it, he is Zach to ultimates from FFG. He has friends in LA that will participate um some weeks and if we're in the same area geographically in the game we may like come across the the traces of previous or other characters interactions um and one really notable time that happened zach was he this is a few years ago probably five years ago he said hey would you guys like to have a joint uh like role-playing session with my la group they're in town visiting we're like sure yeah that's great um and our story we've been chasing this elusive character named jonas turbine across the wasteland it's a great name and we could never find him well it turns out jonas turbine is another player character so we were never going to capture him until we were in the same room as (laughs) Ah. the guy who was playing him And it basically turned into a big throwdown between two groups. It was like a player versus player session. And we lost a party member, I think. And anyways, that happened years ago. But we, this is an ongoing story and we have new characters because we either rolled up new ones or lost them, but it's, it was pretty satisfying and pretty wild. And if no one really known, well, Andrew and Andrew Fisher, you know, Zach, you know crazy of a storyteller he is he really injects some wildness into his his game sessions i I,
1: I think i can safely say that zach might be the most wildly creative person i have ever met he (laughs) it's incredible and it's funny because you know he he like his career at ffg he wasn't doing actual game design he was running playtesting but he would just be this font of inspiration and creativity. The guy has so yeah. much creative energy. It's wild.
2: And he's so enthusiastic oh, yeah. about everything. Oh man. Um, I will say that one last thing about is uh, an NPC helped us save the universe. And it was basically a flying vampire rabbit with horns. Uh, that, that thing helped us save the universe. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, kind of, Benicula, yeah. yeah. We yeah. just named him the count, but basically, <laughs> Banicula. Yeah. Sweet, What's awesome.
1: About
0: you,
2: Fisher, what's what you
1: into? Um, yeah. Well, um, I had COVID for the last couple of weeks, so I was inside a lot. So I finished Elden Ring. Uh, I am now Elden Lord, or well, wow. I'm not, but I won't. Uh, I won't talk about the ending. Uh, there's there's a bunch <laughs> of different ones, but. Uh, so I finished Elden Ring and, uh, I moved on to, I started Rogue Legacy 2, uh, mm-hmm. sequel Rogue Legacy was one of that. the, um, first big popular rogue lights. There were other rogue likes, but this is the first one that had like a progression system layered over it and got, and gained pretty wide popularity. Rogue Legacy 2 reminds me a lot of it, but just way higher production value. It's like mm-hmm. what they would have done if they had had money, more money when they were making the first one. So I, I've been enjoying it so far. And uh, as I mentioned last time, I have my new Tyranid Codex for Warhammer. So while I couldn't actually play my new army because <laughs> I was sick, I uh, did start painting a bunch of models uh, for some of the units that got good in this new Codex. So I am ready to finally actually play it in the coming weeks. So that's, that's me. Awesome. That's what I'm up to. Cool. Andrew, what are you into?
3: Uh, I've been watching the NBA playoffs I've been enjoying that as I I've been working. I have the laptop in my lap and have the playoffs going on. That's been really nice. I've also been like hanging out with my with my younger son who likes uh likes basketball. We've been enjoying it. We had a really fun time uh, a couple nights ago watching the Suns versus the Mavs. There's a moment where uh Luka Doncic uh got uh Kicked in the nuts by Jer- <laughs> by the player, that is and then there's, the there's nothing. There's fun- nothing. It's the it's the funniest thing. It's like it's it's just bring pre- it. It's just so heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> someone get kicked in the balls. <laughs> um, heartwarming, uh,
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's I don't know. Way. There's something about it. It's like it's timeless. It's timeless. Like <laughs> they kept timeless. they showed the replay over and over, and mm. it just. <laughs> slow motion in the moment it's just like oh i fall backwards like a hurt. tree falling in the forest um <laughs> yeah. oh man it looks oh. super painful but uh we gotta look looking that on. up immediately after this show. <laughs> uh uh yeah that was that's that's been a lot of fun um and i've kind of fallen into playing assassin's creed 2 uh I, I i ended up getting distracted from elden ring by slay the spire and then i went out of town and that broke the spell thank god Uh, and then, uh, my, my older son, um, who, uh, I'm I'm very selective with the games he plays, but I just made the decision. yeah. sure you can play Assassin's Creed. Like that's fine. Mm -hmm. And then I've been playing. I'm like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't let him play this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, uh, he played black flag and finished it. And then I was like, well, you know, he's, he's he's like, Oh, I kind of want to play the others. So like, okay, well, you know, just wait. Those games go on sale all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, Lo and behold, like a week later, the Ezio collection went on sale for like 12 bucks. Uh, mm-hmm. So I downloaded that. So he started playing that. So then I started playing it. <laughs> uh, that I really loved that game when it came out. Um, super, super fun. I don't know if you guys. Have oh, yeah. It. Uh, it still holds up. I'm enjoying it. It's cool. I don't know how far I'm going to get in it, but uh, I've been enjoying in the first couple of hours
1: in, in like in in the re in the remaster one. does Ezio still just randomly jump off the roof when you don't want him to <laughs> uh
3: a little It he's a little hard <laughs> to control compared to the what they've changed it into where it's kind of inconsequentially just push forward and climbing is effectively the same as walking except a little more interesting yeah
1: <laughs> i i loved that game but Ezio did have some tendencies to uh <laughs> get a mind of his own somehow, it seems
3: sometimes. better so far okay. It seems better so far, but I haven't been in any like real high pressure situations where I'm kind of flailing at the controls Mm -hmm. as I'm, you know, running for my life. Uh, (laughs) But uh,
0: yeah, anyway, that's that's what I've been up to. Awesome. Well, it's been great talking to you guys. Yeah, you too, Anders. That brings us to the end of this show. Um, Thanks for listening, everybody. We really appreciate you sticking with us for eight episodes. This is episode seven but we had we had wow. episode zero so this is technically eighth and uh we're gonna keep making them till the game comes out i think and, 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 and uh, beyond. So thanks for joining us and and beyond yeah beyond perhaps and uh <laughs> send us your questions get a hold of us say hi say what you like about it um but please no negative feedback anywhere <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh see you next time thanks everyone bye everybody bye see you